0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode one three six of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host Brad Roland, coming to you live on this Monday evening. And uh, as you probably know, if you're listening to this podcast, I would assume that you probably are aware that the Atlanta Braves season is now over in 2018. Uh, a lot to talk about, big picture, small picture, and joining me as always, or as often, or as regularly, the great Scott Coleman. What's up, man?
1: What's up, Brad? A set end to. Uh what well, was really a pretty fantastic year, really, from
0: opening day? Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about that just for a second now before we get, we can come back to it later. Um, and I, I got into a good discussion with uh, actually Zach Harper, who's a, a basketball writer, is a, is a friend of mine who's also a Braves fan, um, and kind of just looking at it from the outsider's perspective. He is a Braves fan, uh, but not a baseball writer and uh, slash analyst. He's just more of a fan, and you know from the outside looking in it was it seemed to him as if uh you know most of the analysis in the series from people that are you know on the team uh like like us um was more negative and that's probably the case because it's a series in which you lost three three out of four games it didn't go very well um and wanted to like sort of stir sort of stir my mind into making sure that we acknowledge frequently and often I think we do, we've done it this year but just to kind of say over and over again that this was an unmitigated success this year you know the playoff series is kind of almost separately to me you know in game stuff can be frustrating all that fun stuff but at the end of the day um you know even making the playoffs getting a game was helpful, but just making it to the, you know, winning 90 games was all of this is a huge win. And that's something we probably need to keep saying over and over again, even after this loss is that uh, it was an awesome season.
1: Absolutely. I mean, regardless, even if they would have got shut out again yesterday and and lost three Oh, and didn't score a run, it would have, yeah, it would have been demoralizing from a fan perspective. Yeah. It sucks, but absolutely. You nailed it. This was a resounding success of a year. I mean, to lose, 90 games, what was it, three years in a row, uh, to then win 90 games this year. It's it's just really hard to do in baseball. You always hear about the bridge years, and the Braves, in essence, turned their bridge year into a year they won 90 games and, and won the division and uh, and gave the Dodgers a real run. I mean, it's uh, there's a reason that really from the start of the year, the Dodgers have been the odds-on favorite to win the West, or to win the National League and win the West. Uh, and we saw just how good they were over the last week. Uh, a bummer for sure, but uh, as you said, a, a huge success for the year, and, and hopefully they're able to build on what they uh, what they were able to do this year and, and go towards twenty nineteen and beyond
0: absolutely and you know for listeners of the podcast if you're a new listener welcome first of all we hope you guys stick around through the offseason um, but for a long time listeners you would know that we'll, we will definitely spend a lot of time in the off season talking about you know the future talking about moves and positions and contracts and all that fun stuff trades um, we're not going to do that tonight just because you know this is a podcast we can kind of reflect on the game and the series and the season and we'll look forward um, to be sure in, in the future so not going to do a ton of that we'll, we'll acknowledge a couple of things i'm sure in passing just sort of sort of circumstances that kind of dictate that but um, you know for all the questions that we're getting I really appreciate it and keep them coming about you know stuff for 2019 like third base and right field and starting pitching all that stuff I promise we're we're gonna talk plenty about that between now and you know February March but uh, not tonight we'll spend some time on the game and the series so I guess we'll do what, we been, what we've been doing uh, in the series and talk about some of the decisions, some of the stuff that actually happened in this game. We won't spend too much time on it because, again, uh, it does feel a little bit a little bit less consequential now than it would have if uh, this was a win. But um, you know, a couple of decisions that were made lineup wise, they went to Albie's at the number two spot. Um, Camargo stayed at five. They they played Tyler Flowers against a left-handed pitcher. None of that stuff I had I had an issue with. Some people were bothered by it, and uh, in retrospect. Johan Camargo hitting fifth does not look great because he was really bad in the series. I actually feel really bad for him um, just because he was very good this season. He basically outshined any any rational expectation of what he was going to do this year and then kind of just had a really bad time to have the worst week of the season. Honestly, he was really bad. Yeah, he he
1: went. He ended up not having a hit in the three games, which uh, is crazy since he was kind of the hero of those that weekend against Philly when they clinched. It seemed like every time there was a big situation – Johan came up and, and came through and you know playoffs are a different beast. I'm sure you start out the way he did. I think he struck out three times that first night and then you start to press and do things that you don't want to be doing. Um, but just looking up and down the lineup, uh, you know Acuna, even with the the heroics in Game Three, he hit 180 188. Uh, Albie's, who you mentioned, moved up to second, hit 200. Freddie hit 250. He had the big homer yesterday, but Nick Marcakis, Hitting 083 when you have and and Camargo not getting a hit when you get one hit combined out of your fourth and fifth hitters, uh, it's going to be a rough series and and it wasn't like the back end of the of the lineup was was great either. So frustrating yeah. altogether. It's it's there's just not much you can do uh, when when the middle of your order isn't producing.
0: Yeah, I mentioned this last night with Joe, but and it actually still it actually still held true as I'm looking at this now. Only two members of the Braves uh, of the Braves offense in the series had OPSs of more than six hundred, which yeah. is that's at six hundred it's terrible. So you know. Albie's four hundred, Marquez about um, three fifty or so, Camargo less than a one hundred OPS. He walked once, that was it. Um, Tyler Flowers had a three ninety, sorry three ninety three OPS, and Ciarte four sixty two, um, Culberson three sixty, uh, sorry three ninety eight. So like, yeah, I mean, Kurt Suzuki five hundred exactly. Like, not that everyone was just abjectly terrible. But um, no one was good. I mean, even even the guys who ended up having the best numbers, Freddie and Acuna, they were your two best players and your your, your two biggest threats, and they had the two biggest moments of of the series. But by their standards, their numbers were not good, even for them. So yeah. there really wasn't there was not a single person in this series uh, on the offensive side that let w- sort of even approached their normal baseline, and that you just yeah. can't have that happen. <laughs> I mean, it felt
1: like especially with the team with the Dodgers were as we all know how good their depth is, you felt like the Braves really needed an endurance CRT, a Johan Camargo, a Flowers, a somebody somebody (laughs) who wasn't expecting, uh, who wasn't going great for Ozzy to rediscover it. You felt like they needed someone to just go nuts and go six for 12 over the series and hit a couple homers and drive in five runs. And they just didn't get it. I mean, you think about they didn't score in games one and two. And outside of, of Walker Bueller kind of imploding in the second inning where uh, he walked Newcomb, should have walked Acuna, and and then gave up the Grand Slam. Outside of that, they scored a total of two runs, right? Uh, three runs because yeah. you had Freddy's homer. I mean, three yeah, runs. Yeah,
0: Freddy's, <laughs> Freddy's homer, and that was it. Yeah.
1: Effectively in, in the games that, that you didn't win. And uh, that's just not going to get done. So, uh,
0: no, I mean, I, I actually, I feel kind of bad, and I said this before, but you know, Every time I tweeted about a specific person in the lineup, I would get a bunch of tweets talking about, what about this guy? And I'm like, I'm not saying that this person was the only bad person in the lineup. I mean, Camargo was the one standout example because he was just so bad. and just looked so bad um, throughout the series. But Marcakis was brutal. It's not like – I mean, it was kind of, it was equal, equal opportunity. Like, I, I defended Tyler Flowers for playing in the series because he's been really good against lefties all season long. He was bad. Arte had a couple of reasonable moments, but he was bad. Culberson, same thing. Like, there was no one that was good in this series. I mean, you yeah. felt good about Acuna and Freeman, but even those guys weren't like you know spectacular outside of those big moments. So, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the better team won, and we kind of know that. I think everyone knows that at this point in time. And we said it before the series started. Most people did, but I think we were pretty clear before before the series started. You and I, when we were talking about this, that. It was gonna be an upset if the Braves won the series. And um after watching four games of those of those two teams, um, honestly the most likely result, if you look at all the numbers, is a sweep. Not if not 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 anything else but that. If you look at all the numbers in the series, the Dodgers probably should have swept the Braves, honestly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. We were uh some people were talking after the game today about the layoff for the Braves and did that kind of nuke their momentum a little bit. And I think it did play a factor. Maybe. I think yeah. I think the Dodgers were a team that really had to play. I mean, they had to play 163, right? I mean, they, they were playing right up to the very end. Um, I, I don't know. In hindsight, sure, maybe you, you give guys rest. Uh, but, again, everyone kind of saw that after they after they clinched that final week, not that the games really meant too much uh, other than home field. didn't really mean too, too much, and you saw the, the bats just kind of go to sleep. Part of that might have been facing DeGrom and Syndergaard and Nola. Um, but at the same time, the Dodgers just look like a team that were firing on all cylinders. And there were times, I mean, obviously in games one and two, especially where the Braves were a little asleep at the wheel, who knows if, if the week of nothing really mattering had an impact or not, or if it would have been similar regardless, but, um, all the same, you wish they, they would have been able to use that week of rest a little bit more of their advantage.
0: Yeah, that's one of those things that you could argue and not have an answer for, and I think that's what we'll probably say here. The Braves did kind of try in those games; like they didn't really punt in the way that I almost would have gone further into the punt that, that they did. Like they they still played guys most days. You know, there was the give up, the full on give up lineup the day the day after they clinched, but after that, most guys were playing every day. It wasn't like they shut mm-hmm. guys down, and it was like it was like pure rust. But you're right; they didn't they didn't play well that last week, and that may have uh, not been a great sign. I don't want to take too much from that, but uh, it's one of those things that you can definitely argue uh, for or against um, looking forward. But obviously, even without that, this is a situation where the Dodgers were just better, and we'll keep yeah. saying that.
1: That's a really good team. I mean, and, and they're built to win this year. I mean, they they were within a game of a World Series title. They have a $200 million payroll. They get guys like Chris Taylor and Max Muncy and, and uh, just who we were nobodies two years ago. And you look at the years they've had recently – uh, they're are as well run of a franchise as there is right now in the league, and uh, I, I would imagine that as as our resident Vegas expert, I would imagine even against a good Brewers <laughs> team, they're they're pretty heavily favored against Milwaukee.
0: Yeah, that's not come out yet, but I'm assuming they're going to be favored um, just because, although the Brewers do have home fields, which might swing it a little bit. Um, I'm not sure how much that really factors in, but I think the Dodgers are the favorites, at least in my brain, um, as the best team. We talked about this a little bit yesterday as well, but just all of their depth was c- kind of insane, and I tweeted this tonight. This is a team that lost arguably its best position player um, on, like, April 30th for the season, and Corey Seager. Granted, they went out and traded for Manny Machado, <laughs> which I understand, but still, like, this is a team that got, I think, 26 games from Corey Seager this year and still did what they did. Um, and, yeah. Anyway. We'll yeah, talk they about deserve to the win. Yeah, as
1: you said, they deserved to win. A they team.
0: were very good uh, in this series. Anyway, um, I guess we'll just kind of blow through what transpired on this on this evening or, I guess, early afternoon or whatever it was. Um, I know it was afternoon for you. Evening sort of here. But, uh, you know, first inning stuff – two was not great, we should say. I, I do think he, he battled, um, which is you know, a credit to him. It, it didn't end up looking bad um, because he only allowed one run in four innings, and that's kind of all you could really ask for him um, in this spot. I, I will say that he did not look good to me. He had four walks, which is not great. And you know from the, from the first inning, he did allow the only run that he allowed in that first inning um, after the devil by Machado, who obviously killed the Braves all night long. But I mean, what'd you make of that decision before? I never asked you on the record, I guess, about what you thought about Fulty starting this game. I was in favor of it. Um, if yeah. you told me he was only going to allow one run in four innings, I would have gladly taken that. I think he was probably worse than that in the in the big picture. But at the end of the day, he did get through four with only one run, and that's actually a pretty big win, I think.
1: I'm with you. He was the guy to start, even even though it was on short rest. He only threw 50 pitches in game one, so he was, he was relatively fresh. But yeah, I mean, as you said, four innings, one run, you take it. Uh, the first inning and even the second inning, he had to kind of toe the line and get out of some trouble. But he did settle in and, and credit the snit for pinch hitting for – uh yes for faulty which i'm sure we'll chat on in a minute and that was the right decision you wish that you could have gotten a little bit longer out of faulty just the way he had settled in he was looking like his normal self but at the same time it was it was the right move to make and you had to do it in order to to try to score a couple runs there in the what was it, the third or fourth inning um yeah uh hats off to faulty he had a rough game one and he, he did kind of battle back and obviously this year was such a big step forward for him and, and a guy that the Braves are going to count on for years to come. Uh, but yeah, pitched well. And I think reasonably did just about everything you could have hoped for on short rest.
0: Yeah. I saw some stuff about, you know, from, I'm not sure if they were, if they were trolling or not. Some people trying to say that they should have started to on in this game. It's like, guys, relax. Um, especially after the fact, um, you know, I don't think you would have gotten four innings of one run ball from Tehran or anything better than that. Let's just say that, um, based on what we saw from him. And that's kind of just, I, I understand he was, um, he obviously, you know, it's a situation where he pitched fine in this game, but, uh, he came in sort of a mop-up duty, which is in- interesting in itself. We'll talk about that in a second, but Fulty was just fine for what you, um, asked him to do in this game, even if he didn't look, uh, at, I guess look to be at his best, um, you know, early, I don't, I don't, I wanna, I'm I want not going to go, you know, blow by blow because obviously it just feels inconsequential right now. But, you know, the one thing I wanted to mention from the first few innings, other than that run that crossed the plate in the first inning, was that there are a couple of really, I, I wouldn't say really bad, but some questionable defense from Ronald Acuna. Um, those were probably the things that I circled the most. A couple, couple of misplays. He had one um, that he misplayed in the first inning that kind of, um, I'm not sure it led to a run, but it certainly was a factor in the run. Um, and then again, in the second inning, um, on a Puig single, um, Acuna did not play that well either. So it was a situation where, I don't want to kill Ronald Acuna because he's very good at baseball, but um, there were some bright there, was, there were some bright lights moments for him in the outfield, and that's a situation where I think people have been arguing that he should be playing center um, long-term. I'm with that. I think he's probably center-fielder long-term, but he didn't look great in left field. And that's it's a good reminder that he wasn't necessarily like a... Fantastic defender in left field this year You might think that a guy with center field tools Would be awesome in left field And I'm not sure that was the case this year That was kind of probably a good I mean, maybe I, I don't want to take it too seriously But sort of a reminder that he wasn't Like complete light, completely lights out On defense this year
1: He was a little rough, but again, a guy who's played Center field basically his entire career right. <laughs> uh, He took a little bit of an awkward route on, on the line drive from Puig, but in the moment I mean, sure, it's easy to say on replay Oh, well, he kind of hesitated for a second, but Obviously, in the moment when you have 40,000 people there and, and you're trying to read the ball and it's sun's going down and everything, yeah, he, he could have handled it. I don't know. I think they must have had some kind of an extreme shift on from Machado in the first inning.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I tweeted about this a little over. bit. Yeah, I think it was Lee Trasinski, uh I'm sure I am saying that wrong, tweeted back at me about how it was sort of a standard alignment and that and this is this is something that I find to be true. Normally for a guy like Machado, you're playing your uh, infield to, your infield kind of shifting to for him to pull and your outfield to kind of go against the grain a little bit, because um normally if you're um if he's gonna hit the ball in the air to the left, to left field, it's either gonna be a pretty lazy play or it's gonna be a home run. Um so it wasn't like a, a super extreme shift, but I did think that normally you wouldn't have him quite as far in right field that was just anecdotal i'm not going to claim to be a positional expert but it did feel to me like he was playing a long way from the line um and that maybe that's yeah. just the camera angle or whatever it was but it did feel like he had a long way to go there which is kind of strange
1: absolutely and with with two outs even if unless he was extremely shifted towards the left field line i think the runner probably scores anyway but it was it was even more obvious just because of whether he didn't see the ball right away or it just kind of got away from him. Um, yeah, just an odd moment. But it was, as, you know, to, to not harp too much on, on Ronald's defense, I do think he's his future is in center field. Now whether or not the Braves are going to make that happen this winter, we'll, we'll see. It's one of the big questions, at least for me, moving forward. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's too hard to get uh, too down on Ronnie just yes. because he was basically the entire team at times for the last two or three months.
0: Yeah, I'm not trying to kill him, to be sure. He's uh, very good at baseball. Um, two, um, I would guess, threats that the Braves had early in this game. First inning, uh, Freeman hits a single with two outs. Marquecas hits a, has a five-pitch walk, and then Camargo um, on the first pitch pops up. And then the exact yeah. same thing happened in the third inning, where Freeman yeah. walked um, and after an Ozzy single, and then Marquecas had a first pitch pop-up. So twice within a, within a three-inning span, the Braves had two guys on, two outs, Right after a walk, and the guy swung the first pitch and popped it up. It was probably a good metaphor for the series, honestly. Just uh, no discipline at all for the most part at the plate and a lot of pop-ups. And that was kind of uh, perfect in some ways.
1: Yeah, it was brutal. I mean, watching the game, obviously not knowing at the time what the final result was going to be. You just kind of kept saying to yourself, this is going to come back to bite them. You can't give up this many opportunities, and, and ultimately it did.
0: Yeah, I mean... It's, it's not that easy to, um second guess everything I'm, I'm sure it's actually it actually is easy to second guess it's not it shouldn't be as easy as we, as we make it which is something that I want to keep in mind as we as we talk here but uh yeah just all those first pitch I know the Braves did a really good job this season jumping on first pitches and that was one of the strengths of the team just being aggressive it came back to bite them in the in the entire series but especially a couple times in this game just um yeah. some really ill-advised swings at pitches that shouldn't have been swung at situations in situations and just a lot of did it feel I mean maybe maybe it's just me but and I, I know it's anecdotal but were there just a lot of pop-ups in the series in general. it seems
1: like it at least from the Braves and I think that might be a product of and I can't remember who but the Dodgers el- threw elevated fastballs more than almost anybody this year um so I'm guessing it was just a matter of the Braves not being able to get on top of them and and hence popping them up
0: yeah I mean maybe it was situational maybe it was uh, targeted by them and that's something that you know credit to them if that was part of the game plan but just a lot of pop-ups um The fourth inning was where um, we mentioned before briefly that the Braves actually did score their only two runs in this game uh, and took the lead. Um, Camargo and Flowers both walked to lead off the inning. Um, They had NCRT bunt, and that was something I wanted to ask you about. I had that bolded in my notes. It doesn't seem as consequential now that they lost by four runs, but... What did you make of the bunt decision? Um it was it was lefty on lefty. Uh, NCRT struggles yeah. a lot against left-handed pitching traditionally. He was actually pretty good late in the season against lefties, but you know, career, career career-wise, he's not a good hitter against left-handed pitching. But what did you make of him bunting there and then what happened after that? You know, it led to Suzuki having that the big the big hit of the night with with a two-run single, but what was the yeah. bunt decision in your mind?
1: I I'm generally team don't bunt as I think a lot of our riders are on the staff. But in that situation, I didn't hate it, um, especially when you're down by one. And as you said, it was lefty on lefty. Ender's been a little bit better, but still hasn't been great. I mean, if if, if Freddie Freeman goes up there and bunts, absolutely, you, you lose your mind. But <laughs> um, um, Or, or yeah. if Acuna, um, or even Ozzie, just the way he hits uh, lefties. But in that situation, I didn't hate it. And, and it did pay off in a sense. I mean, who knows what happens if he swings away. Maybe he grounds into a double play. Uh, it moved the runners over and, and obviously set up Kurt Suzuki in a pinch hitting spot. So, um, yeah, at the time I didn't hate it. Um,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't, uh, and I tweeted that it's something that I would not have done. I would not have had an, enter, and that kind of says it all, honestly. And that I don't have a lot of faith in NCRT against the left-handed pitcher, especially one that's a good one in Rich Hill. But I still, you know, math-wise, it's not probably the right move to bump there. I do understand it though, and I, I don't want, I don't want to absolutely kill Snicker for it. Um, I would, I would not have done that. But you know, I guess it quote unquote worked. I don't really agree with that kind of line of thinking in general. But Suzuki did did a thing, you know, Culberson. I was surprised they pitched to Culberson in some ways, you know, with, with the base open and the pitcher spot next. I'm sure they knew that it was going to be a pinch hitter, so maybe they were, they were just choosing Culberson over Suzuki, which is probably the right move, frankly, because Culberson, you know, for all of all of his heroics this year, uh, if you take a step back and realize it's still Charlie Culberson, and, you know, track track record-wise, he's not the greatest hitter in the world, So and they know him well. Obviously, the Dodgers, he was there before. I'm sure they weren't exactly afraid of Culberson. They got the ground out there, but then Suzuki pinch hits and rocks a single to score two runs, and the places going going crazy and that was a lot of fun for a few minutes (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i
0: mean it
1: it was i know the announcers commented for a while there i mean the place was just electric and you start to think okay maybe they are going to force game five and then all of a sudden the wheels kind of fell off
0: yeah there was optimism there um including by me which is a rare thing um you know the (laughs) fifth inning um Johnny Ventures comes in, which I don't love uh, Ventures as like a full-inning reliever in this spot, but it worked out in, the first, uh, in his first inning in the fifth. Um, got a strikeout, did walk Justin Turner, which is probably a good result, honestly, because Turner just murders left-handed pitching, and Johnny's pretty bad against righties, so that actually worked out very well. He got out of the inning. Um, and then I would say the biggest thing, other than the Suzuki play offensively in this game, was the fifth inning and the Braves um, loading the bases and not scoring. In yeah. retrospect, that was a big, big thing. It, it felt big in the moment, and we I think we all said that, even though the Braves were still winning. But especially now that we know the end result of a 4 on loss, not scoring in the fifth inning was probably the biggest thing of the game, honestly, offensively. Yeah. Freeman Freeman singles, Marquecas walks. Uh, Camargo, honestly, probably should have hit, hit, hit into a double play, but it was booted by Bachado to load the bases. And then, uh, you know, nothing went well. Tyler Flowers swings at ball three, I would say. A pretty bad pitch, pops up. And then Arte pops up again. By the way, going go back to pop ups, back to back pop ups there in, in a really bad spot. Um, and through five innings, they had they, they left eight on base, but those three were just crushing. And I, yeah, I mean, I, just I had, had that killer. huge in the notes. Like it just it felt yeah. awful.
1: Yeah, I think at the time I tweeted it. It might be the season here if if you don't come through and and it was. as you said, it <laughs> it wasn't even. A line drive in a, in a warning track fly out where it's like ah oh, they just missed it but the approach was good and it was just a little lucky. I mean, to, you're right. I mean, Flowers swung at a ball that almost hit him, and then Ender just weakly popped one up to the shortstop, and it wasn't even a even a, a fly ball there from Flowers ties the game or uh, yeah ties the game
0: at that point. No, they were, or, they were no, uh, uh, Braves, the Reds were winning. It was two. It was, it was still two one. That's right.
1: So it would have been three one. So you just talk about it, and again you just go back and. At the time, it was painful. Now it's even more painful. You you think what if if somebody can put a ball in the gap there? You see what happens. But yeah, that was that was pretty crushing.
0: Well, I think you know if you watch enough baseball games and you know a playoff spot, and I think we all knew that two runs wasn't going to be enough. Like you know two one, I know you're winning, but you know you go into the fifth there, and it's like you know at some point the Braves are going to score some more runs. And that was—it felt like it was going to be the biggest spot to do that. It ended up being the case. Loading the bases with less than two outs, you got to get one across there at a bare minimum. And you know, Flowers, again, I was really sort of an advocate for Flowers throughout the series. Um, People were critical of of Snicker playing him against left-handed pitching, which I think is crazy. He's been incredible against lefties this season, and really for his entire career, he's been very good at hitting lefties. So I I was definitely cool with that. But the percentages—the percentages just didn't work out in the series for Flowers. He wasn't very good offensively and that was a bad moment and the ender you know two outs like you know i'm not going to put it on ender honestly at that spot flowers was the bigger problem not in, not not not, not in Ciarte, but obviously ill time pop up there too and you know you you leave the fifth inning still winning at 2-1 but um they leave johnny ventures in the game for a second inning which i honestly hated um they i tweeted that people were got people got bothered by it and i said look i tweeted it before it happened number 1 and number 2 It's not against Johnny. It's not against Venters. Like everybody loves Johnny Venters, but I don't want him facing right hand pitching in in the second inning of an appearance. And it wasn't his fault that the Braves, you know, gave up the runs that they did in the sixth. But the the process there was not really good, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm
1: with you. I think though, who knows just where exactly everybody was. Uh, in terms of being fresh, too. It's a,
0: it's a very important point, and one that I probably should have made going in, is that we just yeah. didn't know like who was available. Like There were a couple guys we knew were available, like Brad Brock was clearly going to be available, Venters was available, he, he didn't pitch yesterday, but everybody else pitched yesterday. Yeah. So yeah. we didn't know. Uh, that's a good point. Well, to that, that you I talk about that.
1: them winning, they won yesterday, and at one point they had thrown four straight rookies out of the bullpen. I mean... The fact that, as you said at the very beginning, the fact that they were able to get one of these games is pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I, I think it was just a bad time for, for Venters to... I mean, he not even pitch that poorly. Just a little bit of bad luck there. And obviously Brock didn't have it, and Sabatka really struggled and let the floodgates open in the next inning. Um, but yeah, he kind of had to... I made the point last night that Snit, at least early on in yesterday's game, hadn't pressed all the right buttons uh early in the game and and not that i was fully blaming snit for the bullpen's inability to throw strikes and get people out and a couple people said you know he doesn't have any buttons to push and i kind of agreed i I don't know where he was supposed to turn because it wasn't like even sabatka over the last month he's probably been the best reliever on the team and and he of course was the one who let the floodgates open today so uh it, it was rough but you're right i mean in hindsight yeah matching up a little better probably would have been the way to go but uh, there just weren't a ton of good options
0: there weren't and that's a really good point I just it's hard for me to look at a situation I, and knowing that I, I do understand that guys weren't fresh but going with venters who you don't want throwing multiple innings in general that, that's a guy with a rebuilt arm um and you have him throwing you have not going out for a second inning against and against right-handed pitching it just doesn't make any sense honestly to me but um I understand some of the dynamics in play. Anyway, it wasn't really his fault, um, but the way that it went down was very challenging. Grandall flies out. Hernandez signals on the ground through the left side, and Bellinger gets a force out. Looks like the Braves are in great shape with two outs. Then Puig pops up to right, and neither Marquecas or Albies can get, get to the ball. Um, that ball falls in, and we all start looking at each other like, uh-oh, this is big trouble when that ball falls in. And then from there... Um, Pitching change, Brad Brock comes in, long battle with David Freeze. two-run single, and then uh, I guess in hindsight, that was the uh, end of the game, frankly.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was – the Puig hit had a 3% chance of being a hit, which is
0: – Yeah, it, it was brutal. It's
1: brutal. Yeah, and I think it was – Ozzy was up the middle a little bit, so he wasn't shifted over. Uh, I, I'm guessing Markekis was a few steps back for Puig, though I'm, I'm not – Yeah, I
0: mean, spot. I wanted to say this. I, I wrote some stuff down on this because I, you know, mostly was – leaning into it and kind of being funny. I, I sent a tweet out about um, how we were going to be at hour five of the Talking Chop podcast uh, talking about that play and the previous inning with the basis loaded uh, situation. So I was kind of kidding about it, but people got uh, upset with me that I was blaming Marcakis. You know, it, it looked like um, his lack of range was a problem there. Uh, that's probably the, be- the best way for me to say it diplomatically. That's something that we talked about, you know, endlessly on this podcast. He just doesn't have any range. He's very slow um, and he makes the plays he's supposed to make. But um, it looked, I will say, to the naked eye, as if he should have gotten there. Um, but if you look at some of the stuff, if you're trying to, I was trying to cobble, cobble together some replays and things like that. I think he was playing pretty deep. Um, the stat cast data had him going a long way and had him like with like a two percent catch percent uh, catch possibility on that on that ball. That strikes me as incredibly low. Frankly, I, I don't really believe that. <laughs> to be honest with you, maybe that's just me being stubborn. Um, but maybe that factors in his the fact that he's not fast and doesn't really cover ground well. But it didn't seem like he was. You know, going 100 miles an hour either, which is you know that's definitely anecdotal. So we should at least put that out. And then Albies had a shorter run, according to Statcast data, which is obviously more accurate than what we have. Um, he had a shorter run to the ball, so maybe it was actually on Albies, even though it looked like it was Marquez's fault. Probably, Albies had less had less ground to cover, and he of course is a lot faster than Marquez. So between the two of them, it could have been nobody's fault. It could have just been perfect positioning and a really really lucky thing for the Dodgers to have happen. Um, regardless. It's just frustrating which i'm sure i probably could handle that better in the moment but um those those two guys not making that play yeah. is huge i mean it, it didn't it didn't have to be if brad brock comes in and gets an out then it doesn't have to matter but brad brock lost the battle against david freeze uh, granted that was a ground ball that is an out a lot of the time charlie colberson who's playing shortstop um because Dan Swanson's hurt um couldn't couldn't get to the ball he, he didn't he did not get a great jump on that ball colberson's not a great defender at, short, at shortstop I immediately tweeted that it was the dancing makes that play. I, I fully fo- I believe that. Um, at the same time, it wasn't an easy play. It wasn't like Culberson made an error. So it was kind of that just perfect storm of events where the Braves needed some breaks to win the series, and um, they didn't get any breaks in that spot. So, I yeah. mean, I don't want to blame anybody, honestly. It was just kind of that perfect storm of an unlucky bloop, and then Culberson just asked to do something that he probably isn't capable of doing.
1: Yeah, and, and as you said, Freeze hit the ball pretty hard. He did. It- you think back about the season as a whole for a ball that had a 3% chance of being hit from Puig, just kind of knocked it up in the air and found found great. And then, of course, with with uh, the hit from Freeze, it was a 3-2 count. It was a fastball belt high kind of center of the plate. I know a couple people said, well, you could have just thrown him junk and, and walked him and then brought in Freed to face the lefty who was up next. And of course, that's all hindsight. Who knows? Uh, maybe if you, you know, maybe Just freeze to him there. I right, mean, come
0: on. Like, yeah, yeah, honestly, like I'm all for hindsight. Like, I think we talk about that stuff all the time on the podcast, but yeah, Brad Brock fresh, he's on your roster. If you can't get David Freeze out, who might be their worst player, like, Come on, I mean, you know what i you know, you know what you know what yeah. I mean. Like that's that's a spot where I would certainly want the Brock versus Freeze matchup over a lot of different matchups that are available to the Braves in that spot. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue with that, I'm, and I don't think that Brock did a terrible job. Like he got a ground ball, it was hit hard, but I mean, maybe he. I did make a note that he probably should have thrown another off speed pitch at some point. Like he had a really nasty slider to get. Um, the second strike in that at bat. Um, but Freeze, you know, Freeze won a battle. He's he's had some clutch moments in his career. But again, you know, percentage-wise, you can't really do much better in this series than Brad Brock versus David Freeze, and you just yeah. lost that one. Yeah.
1: It's frustrating, but it's, it's, it's again, it's a testament to the Dodgers' depth. I mean, the Braves were throwing uh, Flaherty and, and Lane Adams as pinch hitters regularly throughout the series. And when you can bring a Freeze, Dozier, Puig, uh, whoever, it's, it's just a testament to their the importance of having a good a good bench in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, this this, is, this does not matter at all, but Lane Adams not appearing in this game is a little bit frustrating when you played Ron and Flaherty um, for an at-bat, but alas. Um, I guess other than that, I mean, there were brief moments of hope for the Braves. Uh, there was an Acuna in the, actually in the bottom half of the sixth inning, Acuna Barely missed at what would have been a, a game tying homer to left field. He he really kind of got under it pretty violently, and still the ball went to the warning track. He hit that ball incredibly high in the air, and just was a launch angle miss. Um, that was frustrating, but you know it's just one of those inches things where he, if he hits the ball a centimeter differently, it's probably tied and. You know more momentum going back in the in the Braves' way, but you know moments later you have the three-run homer from Machado against uh, Sabalka, and you know by all rights it was probably over there at six-two. Um, Sabaka looked good for a while. I mean, it was about a month where he was great, so I had no issue with him being in the game there. Single to Turner, walk to Muncy, and then Machado gets him, and that's it. Honestly, I mean, I don't I don't I don't know what you do differently there. You know, Sabaka wasn't no, he was no, the no, option. He probably was. He probably was the choice. Like this, you know, it's, it's always easy to have like a different approach. And I'm sure, you know, perfect world, maybe you do, some, maybe you do something else. I guess at the top of their order. But Sabaki had been good, and he was on the roster for a reason. And Machado just beat him. So yeah. that's he was, that. He I was mean, the
1: right decision. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm a, I was okay with it. Um, and after that, Tehran comes in, which is a whole, a whole other thing. I don't want to even go to, go down too deeply into the rabbit hole on Tehran and his usage on the roster, but. Uh, the fact that he was basically a mop-up duty um, after being carried in, in the series on the roster was interesting in some ways. He pitched well, I will say. In Might brief, be his final. Is
1: that his final appearance in Atlanta?
0: Yeah, I mean, there was that was the talking point. That's one of the things that I guess we can talk about for a second here because I don't want to spend too much time on it. But there was a real sense, and a lot of people just not like me and you. People that are like more plugged in were tweeting that as a possibility as well. Like people that you know, beat writers and guys like that were always mentioning it. And that's probably a good sign that they're at least going to consider trading Julio Tehran. You know, he's under contract, so they're not just gonna send him away. But at the same time, if you look if you look if you look at the roster, they have these pieces. They have Fulty, they have Newcomb, they have Gosman, and then they have all the young guys. There probably isn't a spot, honestly, if they wanna yeah. go with Tukey and they wanna go with if Mike Soroka's back and all that stuff, like maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to keep, to keep to keep him around because he is not like crazy overpaid, and you kind of know what he is. He's a solid starter, and I think there's weirdly Tehran's almost underrated right now in that you know he hasn't he wasn't great this year, but for what he's paid, a lot of teams would love to have him as their four starter. You know what I mean? But it's also a situation where like his upside is very low at this point, so. Mm-hmm. All that—all all that to say—it was just weird that he came in, in that spot. It, it might have been the right move because he was still—he was fresh. At least they had him he, on the he roster. The, yeah, and he, kept he, it close. he was the only
1: fresh guy down there.
0: Yeah. And if you're Snicker, you're probably looking at him like, "All right, if we—if we, if we got to just get to the re- get to the end of the game here, you got—you got you to get you know eight more outs to just finish the game. It might just you know throw Julio out there and have him get eight outs. Um, yeah. He pitched fine, yeah. but yeah.
1: Should anyway. we talk about the the final three seconds of hope for the Braves season in the eighth inning?
0: Yeah, that was that was next to my list. I mean, Taylor Roth was a clean ending in the top half. Enciarte and Culberson both have two out singles in the eighth, um, and then Lu- Lucas Duda comes in and absolutely annihilates a pitch, a three one pitch to right field. Um, it wasn't that close, I and mean, people people were uh, messaging me that were in the in the building trying to they couldn't see it um, on replay just to see how see how actually close it was. It wasn't that close, It wasn't like it was like a foot from the foul pole, but off the bat. I thought it was going to be a 6-5 game. Um, yeah, and, by, and, and by the way, if, that, if that's a home run, the Braves are still uh, heavy underdogs to win the baseball game. But we, there at least would have been a real, real hope if that ball is uh, a home run. And it was very close to being one.
1: Yeah, it was. Kind of, it kind of was like the Eric Kinski shot from yeah, it was was was. It 2010. That just, yep. But of course, it went And You're right. It did go fairly foul. It was just hit so hard. And I think it was a matter of,
0: it was it annihilated, looked, man.
1: <laughs> it was it was off the plate almost even. Uh, you know, on the inside of half in on the inner half of the plate, if I could talk uh in half of the plate. I thought it was gone. It just missed it. And it was and then of course he comes and, and hits a a decently deep fly ball for the third out to he center just field. It. But yeah. Yeah. It was uh his and you mentioned a three one. I mean it was three oh, the crowd was going nuts. You have a Cunha on deck, and you think, man, two out rally, that's kind of been their calling card. Call calling card all year maybe they're going to do it one last time make things interesting and just miss the three-run homer which as you said they're still down six five at that point but then all bets are off for trying to score one run versus four runs in the final inning um but just kind of a crusher and uh everyone thought it was uh everyone thought it was out in the building and just to miss it like that uh it was a little bit of a deflator uh to to basically end the season's chances right there
0: yeah, it would have been perfect, honestly. The script the script was kind of there for what would have been a very fitting Braves comeback, even to make it interesting. The Braves had so many comeback wins this year that looked like they were dead. And Lucas Duda, you know, newly acquired guy who comes off the bench and has this only played appearance of the game and all the all it had all the makings for that brief moment. Um, I kind of I think we all kind of had resigned to the fate when it was six two, like There were there were already postmortems being written, and I was thinking about what we talk about on the podcast, etc. And then I was like, "Oh, do I have to pay attention again? Not that (laughs) we weren't watching, but like, you know what I mean? Like, there's that moment, like, oh, this might get interesting again. I might have to like change what my thought process is. And then it wasn't. Um, But yeah, it was nice though that it
1: It, it is cool. You mentioned kind of the last. It was really cool the sellout crowd today giving the team a standing ovation as as the Dodgers won and celebrated on the field because they deserved it. I mean this. Team really seemed like they gelled from day one and, and truly cared about each other and, and obviously uh, had a really nice year winning ninety games. So it was cool to see everybody stay and, and kind of do one last year. And a couple of the players talked in the post game about how much it mean to them and that they were appreciative and all that good stuff. So that was that was definitely a cool final moment of the year.
0: Oh, absolutely! And I, I tweeted that too. All the people did like hoping that was going to happen, and it did, which I was happy to see. Um, It's one of those times when you wish it was the home when you you wish you had this like um, local broadcast that could have like kind of painted the picture a little bit better because obviously the and this is this is the way they should do it the national broadcast was focused on the Dodgers they just won they were showing the celebration as they should Um, but you could definitely even you you can hear it you know there was there were videos in the building that were circulating on Twitter there was a lot of stuff going on there and it was good it was just good to see the appreciation because I know that's how you and I feel and our and our whole staff feels like. Again, like like we said at the beginning of this podcast, it could be frustrating in the moment. It was not a fun series necessarily. Um, At the same time, the season was so good that you have to recognize that. um, Same, you know, manager, players, coaches everybody you know i think after the game snickers comments were were spot on like he did what you expect him to do as a guy who everybody loves in the clubhouse you know my thoughts on him are well documented in terms of his tact of his tactical decisions but snicker handled it the way you want to see your manager handle it come out um praise your team for the work they did all season long um you know express the frustration with the series but at the same time also the optimism of the future and all that fun stuff so he did a nice job with that and you know that's kind of the way it is i don't want to you know, get too nostalgic, I guess, because that's just not really my brand. But it was, it was it was so much fun. I mean, we've been doing this podcast now for, you know, three seasons. There was not a lot of hope, uh, at least in the Major League Club, for the first two years of this podcast. And this year, I mean, we talked about it a lot. But you and I and Eric and, and others, we all were in that 75 to 80 win range before the season. They came out and won 90, won the division comfortably, and, you know, won a playoff game. So you mm-hmm. can't really ask for too much more than
1: that. No, you can't. I mean, it's... As we said, and, it, and I was actually kind of cool. Like, after the game, I wasn't heartbroken, and I didn't get the sense a lot of people were. Like, it wasn't like they were up 3 nothing in the World Series and blew it, right? Like, it's not, it's not necessarily a series that I'm going to look back on, or at least I don't think I will look back on in three years and go, you know, God, that sucked. That was just miserable. You think about, like, the Giants series in 2010. I think every game was one run. Those are the ones where you just think, gosh, if just one ball bounces right or if they— do well, this? I'm still, I'm still out about it
0: right now. Uh, yeah, I mean it I,
1: stinks. It does, and, and yeah. of course the David Carpenter, you know that's the 2013 LDS against the Dodgers. I mean, those are the series that really hurt. And again, I mean it sucks. I mean there there won't be another Braves game for six months, and you played a you played obviously to win the World Series, but um, yeah, I'm not I'm not overly bummed or or frustrated or angry, which isn't always the case when when your team loses in the playoffs. So. Um, a, a fun year and, and proud of the way they battled all year. And it's, uh, as we said, hopefully this is just the start of things to come. And I know a couple people have compared this year uh, to what the Cubs did in 2015 or 16, whatever it was the year before they won the World Series. I'm not necessarily sure this team is going to win the World Series next year, but you do hope that it's kind of a launching point for what's, you know, a really great next three to five years.
0: As an Atlanta sports fan, I've had plenty of heartbreak in my life, and this series was not really. <laughs> Anywhere near the list of that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there were there were moments where it was frustrating to be sure, um, but I, I would definitely echo echo your sentiments of like this is not on the list of painful moments in the playoffs. Mostly because it was house money. I mean, I think if you, in the moment, even if you were, if you were frustrated, you still had to think like you know, everything was kind of house money in this series. They came in as the underdogs. It wasn't like the Braves were supposed to win the series. Everyone thought everyone picked the Dodgers as they, as they should have, because that was the right side, but it wasn't like the Braves were this massive favorite that took a 2-0 lead in the series and lost. Uh, You know, they they stole a game. We had a lot of fun last night. Like, that was a game. I'm glad. I'm glad that happened. Like getting swept would have been a little bit worse. Even then, as you said before, getting swept would have been fine. Like it is what it is. It would have been frustrating in the moment. But getting the win there was fun. The way that it happened with Acuna hitting a grand slam and Freddie hitting the game winning home run, like that's fun. Those those are, those are your core guys, and that's that sort of added a little cherry on top of this thing. The loss yeah, is the sure. loss, but it was just still. A heck of a ride, and I think we're probably rambling, but at the same time, like it's worth it because that's that's just kind of the emotions that you're left with now. Like, I wasn't deeply broken up by this loss. Like at the end of this thing, I just sent you a text and I'm like, "All right, podcast pretty soon." <laughs> it was yeah. a situation where we, like we weren't crushed, and yeah. in a different way, like you know, next year. With expectations, and maybe this team wins ninety five games and makes the makes the run to the National League East title again, and is a favorite. And if they lose like in some brutal fashion, that will hurt more than this did. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way around that. But for now, like everything's pretty good still.
1: Yeah, you'd like to think this is the window opening and not closing. It's not like Acuna and Freeman and Fulty are all free agents to be, and this was your one chance. You know, I know some folks with the Indians today as they were as they were eliminated now that their window is closing, because they have some really good players under contract, but they are going to lose some core pieces that took them to the World Series a few years ago. And it's, as we've said, we hope it's, I, I can't recall who the analyst was, but they said before the series, this there's a chance this is the worst team the Braves have over the next five years. And I would certainly hope so, because that would be a lot of fun. Um, but all good. It was a fun year. And you certainly would have liked to have seen them stun the Dodgers and, and beat what's basically been the best team on paper all year long, but alas, sometimes uh, you can't win them all.
0: There is a chance of that, and I would caution against people getting too satisfied to the point where like you're expecting this team to be great for the next for the next little while. I do think the pieces are in place for a a very, very nice run here for this Braves team. Um, But there have been plenty of fan bases that have been teased with one year, and they think it's going to be great for a while, and then it's not. So don't take it for granted. Like, really enjoy this season. It was awesome, and reflect on it as such. Um, I do think if I was to predict, looking forward, the Braves would be good again for a while here. But it's not a given, and uh, ask ask around. Uh, you know these these one year samples do happen, and as a result of that, you got to be really thankful of the ride that they, that this team took us on because it was fun. I mean, for the first time in a few years, the major league team was legitimately fun from start to finish. And uh, you know, in baseball, that's kind of half the battle. Obviously, you want to win, but this is more than any other sport. Every single day for six months, you're just grinding with your team. And if it's not fun, it's really a slog. You know, this podcast writing about writing about baseball—it's not fun if the team's not fun. And this team was really fun the entire season.
1: Yeah, you, I mean, you know well that people who aren't a part of the editorial process from with Chris and Eric and everyone on the site—I mean, trying to figure out what your weekly article is going to be when the team is 30 games below 500 in August is not the easiest thing in the world to do.
0: Absolutely. Um, And uh, this was an easy one and a fun one. And the podcast uh, was fun to do. So I I really appreciate you coming on um, as much as you do. I've said the same thing to Eric, but you guys helped me quite a bit. You are by far the most frequent guests and uh, you don't have to do it. So I really appreciate you spending so much time (laughs) with me, Eric. Uh, Me and Eric. Sorry, Scott. um, But yeah, one of those things where you don't have to do it. So I really appreciate you coming on as much as you have. um, So thank you, sir.
1: Absolutely, buddy. Glad to be on.
0: Do uh, you have any any other parting thoughts um, before we get out of here? I think we've probably expressed ourselves sure. for the most part. But, yeah. by the, oh, my gosh, 45 minutes. I had no idea we talk, we talked that long. So there you go. Yeah,
1: time flies, I guess. Yeah, it'll be cool. I mean, the fact that it's already getting close to the AL and NLCS is fun. And you, you give it another three weeks and we'll kind of be in the start of the offseason and uh, if you want to get excited even more about the future, you go look at a, like com and look <laughs> and remind yourself of all the money the Braves will hopefully spend well this winter and, and obviously people who check out the site know of all the prospects that are about to arrive and so yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, it sucks that the Braves are out. It really does. You won't get, see another baseball game for six months or so, but lots of good things on the horizon hopefully and it should be a fun offseason.
0: Absolutely, and I promise we will talk about all of it um, in the near future. Um, for now the plan will be uh, kind of back to a regular schedule on Sundays I know this is kind of a nice flurry of activity I have not done a ton of daily baseball podcasts so it was uh, it was fun to kind of yeah. pop in and pop out and talk about just game stuff and get really in the nitty gritty uh, we'll be sort of zooming back out um, to big picture stuff and as offseason arrives there'll be a week or two when we're, when we're not here but for the most part every Sunday uh, or at least every weekend somewhere usually on Sundays we'll be recording and um, we'll be here for all of that so please join us please subscribe to the show also every single show show is obviously on talkingchop.com with a little with, with a little bit of a listening guide that I write up about every single podcast so please keep joining us thank you Scott once again for all that you've done my friend and um, for now I guess this is the end of the 2018 season we'll do like definitely some more big picture stuff in the future but um, and we, we really enjoyed it I want to thank everybody for listening and we'll see you guys next week